What's up, people? Another episode of Just for Sport. I hope you're doing well, enjoying your weekend. Jamoke Davis here with you. We're going to talk NBA. We're going to talk NFL. But we're going to start with history. Witnessing history at the Australian Open as Novak Djokovic uh, wins the Australian Open, ties Rafael Nadal with his 22nd Grand Slam title. Uh, He needed two tiebreakers to get the straight set victory, but he beats Stefano Tsitsipas, who was my pick to win it all. But I mean, I guess I'm always trying at some point to pick an underdog. But what at some point I knew, if you're into tennis, you knew whether you like him or not. And I'm willing to say it. I'm not really a fan fan of of him per se. Um, But he not only wins his 10th, which is the most all time Australian Open titles. His 10th title. He also holds the record now for the most number of weeks at number one. Um, The bottom line. And I think there are probably a lot of people in Australia. They were like, "Eh, maybe they didn't want him there. They didn't like that. He still is not vaccinated, even though. Novak Djokovic is like, hey, I'm worried about what I put in my body. So he missed last year's Australian Open. He is starting to separate himself from everyone and the being the greatest player ever on the men's and women's side. Novak Djokovic is the best ever to do it today. And the reason why you might as well just come to that realization if you haven't already is because how is he not the favorite to win the French? How is he not the favorite to win Wimbledon in the U.S. Open? He is. So he will best Margaret Court, who Serena was not able to. He will be well past Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal. And the reason why there is no argument for how great of a tennis player he is. One, stop trying to include what he's like as a person. And I've got to try to stop doing that too. It's not about what he is like as a person. It is about the tennis. That's what we're talking about. And I think that's very difficult with other sports as well. When you think about, oh, well, what about the morality of the person? Eh, That aside, we are strictly talking about him as a player. And what makes him so great is better than even what you think Michael Jordan did. Because if you can imagine, right? Novak Djokovic is winning these titles, becoming the greatest ever. It was, a lot of it was in the era that also Roger Federer and Rafa Nadal were the best to ever do it. 
They dominated tennis. And the reason why I say it's some ways maybe even better than Michael Jordan is because, like, he was battling the best. But the best were also winning, right? If you think about when Michael Jordan was in his prime and he won six trophies in uh, eight years, and maybe you could throw Tom Brady in there. Um, when you have to play against other greats and you still get this title, I think the level of dominance is different. Nobody was winning when Michael Jordan was winning. He won three in a row and then retired. Then came back and won another three in a row. So while you want to say, oh, Michael Jordan, Patrick Ewing, Akeem Olajuwon, whoever you want to throw in there. Shaq and Kobe were like there, but they were still kind of growing. But yes, they were in the league too. Nobody else was winning. This guy, Novak Djokovic, is winning tournaments, beating the best, and not always winning because they were at the top of their game. And the reason why I'm saying you got to understand that is because when Jordan was winning, he was just beating them. That's it. There was no, okay, sometimes Federer will win. Sometimes Nadal will win. And Novak Djokovic, it was a lot for him to get those victories. And that's why I think that what you see in him, what he's doing, there's no arguing that he's the greatest ever. He is the greatest ever. And the sad part about it is because then when you talk about his personality and decisions that he's made or whatever, yeah, there's probably a lot of people that aren't going to give him the respect that he deserves. Even me watching the Australian Open, I'm like, okay, cool, for good for him. But the excitement that I had, like when the doll got to 22, even going all the way back when I got to see as a kid, Steffi Graf win the Golden Slam. There was a difference of excitement, a different of ex- a difference of excitement seeing Serena Williams. Andre Agassi when he won all four in a row, which actually I think is something that Novak has never done. But maybe this is going to be year that he's going to do that. And then that'll be amazing. That'll be another thing, another goal for him to shoot for, to reach for. And I'm sure he is. But whether you like him or not, you got to take your tip, your hat off to him that he is the greatest ever. And even if you don't like him, he had a good comment, quote from Novak Djokovic. I have to repeat it over and over again, but this trophy is as much yours as it is mine. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for your wonderful support. I have to say this has been one of the most challenging tournaments I've ever played in my life. Only the team and family know what we've been through the last four or five weeks. This probably is the biggest victory in my life considering the circumstances. I mean, you think about that. He was deported from Australia just before the tournament was supposed to win. He's probably really mad because he had to watch Rafi Nadal 
win those tournaments ahead of him. He couldn't play in the U.S. Open. Right? I mean, there were tournaments that he was not able to compete in. And that bothered him, right? So we know, even though he's saying it's the most difficult, unless you're going to tell us why it's the most difficult, just say because you're mad that Nadal was winning tournaments last year and I couldn't play in the Australian Open, so I was mad that I had to win this tournament. I mean, so that's the only thing I will say about the media where I felt like, okay, yeah, you're just kind of toying with us, right? Only the team and family know what I've been through the last four or five weeks. Well, if you don't tell us, we don't know and we don't care, right? That's it. That's all there is. If you care to share, then maybe we can understand a little bit more, have empathy in other ways. But if you don't care to share and we don't know, then I think that's where maybe you're missing out on that human element of why people may root for you more. But so be it. You chose to be this way and I respect it. And we move on. Pitchers and catchers are about to report. So I'm getting excited for baseball. I don't know if you are, but baseball is right around the corner. Fantasy baseball is open. I'm looking forward to the draft. I like the draft more than I like the season. I got to admit, football, basketball, baseball, I just simply, once the season starts, I try to pay attention to it, but I don't pay attention to it as much as I probably should. But I am happy to see that pitchers and catchers are about to report. And this is going to be fun. Another good season. But I digress. We're talking National Basketball Association. We'll have our time to talk baseball. The officiating in the NBA is getting worse and worse and worse. I think the officiating across the board in all sports is not great. Yes, we talk about, oh, there's a human element with the game. But what we forget is that the game is not about the referees. The game is about the players on that court. And I think that the mistakes that referees are making are costing players chances at championships, teams chances at championships, and the decisions that a referee makes can affect the trajectory of a franchise. You may not think of it that way, and you may say, oh, Jim, okay, it's just hyperbole. But last night, the Lakers lost to the Boston Celtics. Clear, clear foul. A hacking of LeBron James's arm on a layup. It was a clear, clear foul. Oh, refs. Oh, I missed it. You can't miss calls. You simply cannot miss calls. I 
have a dog in a fight. I'm not a Lakers fan, not a Celtics fan. And I think that's why I'm like, no, this is wrong. The NBA is getting it wrong. Maybe you need a third eye inside of two minutes, inside of one minute, something to prevent this from happening. And I get why Anthony Davis and LeBron James won because they're millionaires and, you know, probably worth over $200, $500 million. So you're a ridiculous, dumb $25,000 fine. I don't care. I'll get it. I'll take it every day. And if I had that kind of money, I would take it every day to find a way to fix the awful refereeing in the NBA. Now, granted, the way all the histrionics by LeBron James, I was like, man, I'm surprised he didn't get ejected the way he was jumping up and down. But I can understand how upset he was. Anthony Davis called it BS. They should have won that game. There's no way he would have missed that layup. The fact that he missed it so blatantly, I'm surprised the ref didn't just say, blow the whistle just because. Like, oh, shoot, he missed out. Okay, there must have been a foul. It's a disgrace to the league. It's a disgrace to the NBA that the commissioner can't do anything about it. No one understands what's happening here. And you see the other fines. Joel Embiid did the the, uh, obscene gesture, as they call it. The Generation X suck it dance when they were playing the Nets, which he had a great game against uh, uh, Nikola Jokic. Last night, woo, what a game. No, to me, Jokic is still the better player all around. And then Steph Curry got a 25000 fine for throwing his mouth guard. And then he was ejected against the Grizzlies. They still won that game on a game winner by the same person that Steph Curry was mad at because he thought that uh, Jordan Poole took a, a bad shot when they needed to wind the shot clock down. And then Jordan Poole had the game-winning layup. The NBA is getting spicy. The NBA is great. It's fun to watch. And I'm just here to simply say, I don't want the refs to destroy games. But that's what they are doing. They are literally destroying the game. They're making it not fun to watch. Not because you don't enjoy the players, but because, okay, how's the ref going to mess up this close game? It should be settled on the court. I would rather the players call their own fouls and then have a referee sit on the side and watch it and say, yes, that was a foul. No, that wasn't a foul. Versus some of the calls they're making. I mean, they don't call carry. They don't call travel. I know people, only oh, the old people even think about that. No, those are the basic rules of the game. This isn't about, oh, being old. Because if you go in a rule book, it doesn't say now you can take three steps or four steps to get to the hole. It doesn't say that. So no, it's not about being old. It's about the fact that, or older. It's just simply wrong. Carrying, palming the ball. They do it all the time. John Morant, everybody does it. Don't want to single out John Morant. But it happens a lot. It happens too often. 
But what the refs are doing is simply inexcusable. The league is exciting to watch. You got the Denver Nuggets, Memphis Grizzlies, sitting at the top of the Western Conference. Six-game lead on the next closest team is Sacramento, but the Clippers are surging. New Orleans may come back if they get their injuries under wraps or they get healthy players. Boston and Philly and Milwaukee are all at the top. Brooklyn five games back. Cleveland's six games back. Miami, right? Yeah, a lot of great matchups. And I just want to see it settled on the court, not by a referee's whistle. I'm tired of it. And the players are. That's why they all lashed out, including the coach. Darvin Ham was like, I'm done. I'm done. And rightfully so. I hope every day they sit there and say the refs are awful. We need better refs. We need better rules. We need replay. But you know what? Let me calm down. And I am going to focus on something that makes me a little happier. And that is the NFL playoffs. I am so, so, so looking forward to the NFC in AFC championship. I just, I, I want good games, right? That's what we all want. I mean, we're, you know, we know that there are injuries uh, that we are seeing and, and, and it's a part of the game. The biggest one probably is not Lane Johnson, but Patrick Mahomes and how he will play in Burrowhead, as Cincinnati Bengals call it. But the game, yes, is in Arrowhead in Kansas City. The Chiefs are favored at minus two. Travis Kelsey is expected to play. And the thing is, the last three games have been owned, owned by the Cincinnati Bengals. And that's the scary part to me is... And I'm starting with that game first. To think that Kansas City, more people are leaning towards Kansas City. They have, you know, if you check on ESPN, they have a 66% chance of winning the game. I think that they are very evenly matched. Cincinnati is missing two of their guards, and I think that was brought up as a big thing, or offensive linemen, rather, Alex Kappa and Jonah Williams. And I think that Buffalo, going into the Buffalo game, that was like, ooh, is that going to be a problem? And it obviously was not, but I think the bigger thing is that Buffalo just was not at the level of Cincinnati. But I think we all are curious how good... Patrick Mahomes will be if that ankle is going to be a problem. And we simply don't know. I think there's a chance it will be. Right now, the spread is at two. Minus two, rather, as I should say, for the Chiefs. The Bengals beat the Chiefs 27-24. to 
That was in December, but that game was in Cincinnati. You look at the Bengals' offense. They rank 8th, while the Chiefs rank 1. But the key is the fact that the Chiefs do not have a running game. Their rushing offense is ranked 20th, while the Bengals are more evenly spread out. They're ranked 8th, rushing 7, pass 5. Now their scoring record is 29th compared to 1 versus the Chiefs, but the Bengals do play in the AFC East, and there are a lot more low-scoring defensive games. On defense, I think these teams are more evenly matched, but also the Bengals have shown to be able to score on defense. The biggest one being that crazy play against Baltimore. Joe Burrow's 3-0 against the Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes. Uh, they had the comeback win in the AFC title game, so this is somewhat of a revenge game, if you will. Mahomes had x-rays on his ankle. Um, He did finish the game in Kansas City and uh, had the game-clinching touchdown in the fourth quarter. Got an MRI. Everybody says that they're okay. I think the better offense is with Cincinnati, with Jamar Chase leading the way, but they also have T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd, and they're going up against a KC defensive backfield that playing is some young guys. They have three rookie cornerbacks and a rookie safety that are all a part of the road in the rotation for Kansas City, and I think that they there's no doubt that they would they will be tested. On the flip side, you know, forget whether you're bothered by uh, the antics of the Cincinnati Bengals defense off the field, like with Eli Apple. The Bengals have won three straight against Kansas City. All by three points. Two of those games were in Cincinnati. The Bengals were down 21-3 and came back to win it 27-24 in overtime. This is, boy, the fifth straight conference championship hosted by Kansas City. Five. That's how dominant they have been. And that's pretty amazing. But it's hard for me to pick the Chiefs. If Travis Kelsey isn't the best he can be, who does Mahomes have to pass it to? Juju Smith-Schuster? He's a decent wide receiver, but come on, he doesn't scare anybody. You know he doesn't. Marquez, Valdez, Scantling, nothing. Kadarius, Tony, okay. Isaiah Pacheco at running back because they lost their top running back. 
Clyde Edwards Hilaire. This is going to be a tough game for Kansas City to win. And in that vein, I am picking the Cincinnati Bengals at plus two over the Kansas City Chiefs. I don't expect the game to be that close. I actually feel like Cincinnati will win by four. Maybe more. I mean, come on. When they were playing Buffalo, in Buffalo, oh, everybody. Damar Hamlin, he's going to be such an inspiration for the team. Buffalo, this is their chance to get over the hump. They couldn't do it. They simply could not do it. Cincinnati is that good. They were in the Super Bowl last year. Come on. Come on. I got Cincinnati at plus two. Other game. We've got the Eagles hosting the 49ers. Eagles are favored to win. Matchup predictor on ESPN has Philadelphia 65.3%. Last I checked. The Eagles are favored at home at minus two and a half. I think that the Eagles have played in the tougher conference, but slightly. No one expected the Rams to be as bad as they are. No one expected the Seattle Seahawks to be as good as they are. No one expected the Arizona Cardinals to be as bad as they were. I do feel like we have, we are getting the best matchup for the NFC Championship game. No one expected Jalen Hurts to be where he is. No one expected the Eagles to be where they are. Not in terms of, oh, they couldn't make to the NFC Championship, but to be 14-3. and three, Even with Jalen Hurts missing some games. The good thing for San Francisco is you've got a head coach, who knows the NFC East well, and Kyle Shanahan, who was play, who was coaching under his dad, Mike Shanahan, in Washington. This every game, the next game, if you think of Brock Purdy as the quarterback for San Francisco 49ers, is a new area for him, if you will. And that will be what I am curious about. I think the way that the Eagles dispatched the Giants, I mean, I I was surprised at how good they were. These teams haven't played each other since 2021. 
And for the most part, I think they're evenly matched across the board. I think they are. Jalen Hurts looks good. And I feel like to an extent, there's no doubt that Jalen Hurts, who are 15-1, and and Jalen Hurts starts this season. Going up against the number one ranked defense in San Francisco. He doesn't want to lose to Brock Purdy. The Cinderella, Mr. Irrelevant story is no way. If Purdy and the 49ers are to win this game, Brock Purdy will be the first ever rookie quarterback to reach the Super Bowl. And in my mind, especially the way Philadelphia's pass rush destroyed Daniel Jones, he was sacked five times. Philadelphia leads the league with 70 sacks in the regular season. I also have to admit, if you don't know, yes, I'm uh, because I'm a Washington fan, I'm a big NFC East fan. So I root for the NFC East. But I also, you talk about what's in your heart, your emotions. I worked on a documentary about Trent Williams, which was a lot of fun to do. So I root for him in, in the 49ers. And I got to spend some time with Debo Samuel. So I root for him too. And I know Cal Shanahan. I remember him in Washington. And all of us to this day that are Washington fans that still talk about how we wish in many ways it wasn't John Gruden, that it was Sean McVay, who is now a Super Bowl winning head coach, or Cal Shanahan, who's still trying to win the Super Bowl. And if he were to beat the Eagles, he would be in his second Super Bowl. And that guy in Green Bay. But in reality, I think that the Eagles will win this game and I'm taking them at minus two and a half. I think they're at home. I think they have a very good, potent defense. And I think they, I mean, if you think about it, Brock Purdy didn't play great the last game. Brock Purdy is about to have a wake-up call at some point, right? We got to all think that. We've got to all think that. And I think this could be that game. I do. This could be the game where you are unsure if Brock Purdy is going to become the Brock Purdy that made him the Mr. Irrelevant. I think this could be that game. He didn't have a touchdown pass last week. They won the game 19-12, but part of that's because the Cowboys were awful. They weren't the Cowboys that we thought they were going to be. And I think the 49ers being on the road, I think that you will see a 49ers team have a little bit of a wake-up call. And I'm taking the Philadelphia Eagles at minus two and a half. So I got Philadelphia minus two and a half. And I'm taking the Cincinnati Bengals at plus two. And those are my picks for the AFC and NFC championship. I hope you enjoy your NFL playoff Sunday. The NBA. Hopefully the refs won't cost your team a game. 
Congrats to Novak Djokovic, the greatest ever now. And we'll talk some Major League Baseball in the coming weeks as catchers and pitchers report. It's going to be fun. Baseball is back. Ciao for now. Are you looking for a better way to play player props or daily fantasy sports? Well, look no further than Prize Picks. Prize Picks is the leading over-under daily fantasy game. Why? Because it's so easy to use and win. You can make your picks in under 30 seconds and win up to 10 times your money in one day. Right now, we have a special offer for our viewers and listeners of the Just for Sport podcast. All you have to do is sign up now and use the promo code J for Sport, and Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Yep, that's right. They'll match your first deposit up to $100. So join the over 150,000 others who found a better way to play and download the Prize Picks app today. 